Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us in the Weekly Standard to analyze the results of the South Carolina primary, Bill Crystal. And Bill Crystal, I, I just want to start with the first thing. Do we agree that the big loser, despite the fact that Jeb Bush dropped out, is in fact Ted Cruz? That Ted Cruz comes out of South Carolina with the most problems? I think that's right. I mean, you would have thought this should be his strongest state. He invested a huge amount of time and money there. It's a very conservative and very religious state. And he focused on the evangelicals there, uh, and he got 22% of the vote. And, you know, some of that Carson vote, I suppose, when Ben Carson goes out, gets out, might go to Ted Cruz, not that much of the Bush or Kasich vote. So assuming Rubio and Trump aren't going anywhere, doesn't Cruz, couldn't one now say that it's hard to see Cruz getting more than about a quarter of the vote in almost any state except, I suppose, Texas? And so he could stay in, he can get some delegates, a little hard to see a Cruz pass to the nomination now. I agree completely, and my uh, parents are part of the evangelical community in Lexington County, South Carolina, and they broke late for Cruz. But it was interesting, they and their friends were very not kind of, you know, they were late to come to him. I'm going, isn't this the candidate you've been waiting for? (laughs) He's young, he's, you know, smart, he certainly does grasp the evangelical uh, theology, philosophy, ideology, it's all there. And they kind of just shrugged, and and I, I I just I don't know why that is, but I I don't see how you can build evangelical plus whatever if you don't own evangelical first. I mean, Cruz expected a Cruz Bush race. That was the whole theory of the race: the typical moderate establishment versus conservative insurgent. Except Cruz was going to be better financed, with a better strategy, and really more credible a more credible candidate than the typical uh, Santorum or Huckabee type conservative insurgent and that was not a crazy theory and, I'm, and i think cruz probably would beat bush if it ever if, if they if it had turned out to be that kind of race but having trump take some of the evangelicals and conservatives away with his populist message and then rubio as the other main alternative who's himself religious and pro-life and quite eloquent about that issue um i think that may have pinched cruz enough uh cruz is a very able politician a very impressive guy and i, I certainly don't want to count him out i mean he he first in Iowa, and then, what, third in New Hampshire, third in South Carolina. He's certainly in the very top, in that top three. But I think he has the toughest path to the nomination uh, compared to Trump or Rubio. So that brings us to the question, who was the big winner on Saturday in South Carolina? Obviously, you'd think it was Donald Trump, but is it? I think so. I mean, I think a 10-point victory. He slid a little bit the last week. He was at 38 or so going into that, you know, after coming out of New Hampshire, he ended up with 32.5. Still, to win by 10 points in a state in which Cruz, Rubio, and Bush had invested a huge amount of time and money. If Trump was outspent in the state. He made various mistakes or things that people like me thought were mistakes, saying Bush lied us into war and various other things. Uh, to, to, hold, to win that victory by 10 points is pretty impressive. It means he's won... You know, he's second in Iowa, wins New Hampshire, wins South Carolina. I don't believe anyone's ever lost the nomination in either party after a start like that. He's won both primaries by double-digit margins. He's probably going to win Nevada on Tuesday, I assume. He looks like he's in good shape for probably most of the March 1st states. I think there are 12 states on March 1st. So right now, uh, Trump is in pretty good shape. 
I, 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 I maybe it's uh, you know glass half full, glass half empty, but I just don't agree. One of the I keep reminding people two things about South Carolina, having lived there and run campaigns. There, number one is South Carolina was delivered for establishment candidates in the past by a machine, an organization that Lee Atwater helped put to, uh, Carol Campbell put together. That Campbell machine is gone. It was gone in two thousand eight, uh, and then of course two thousand twelve, Newt Gingrich won uh, because the, the last vestige is totally gone. And the second thing is. The machine was always setting up candidates who already had support. They had money support and people support out there. And what they did in South Carolina was kind of winnow it down. This is going to be, you know, who it's going to be. So Republicans, you know, eat your oatmeal and like it. Well, that's not true with Trump. There is no Trump majority waiting in the uh, SEC state, now the SEC states. There's a Trump plurality waiting, but there is no Trump majority waiting. And I don't I have yet to see anything that shows me that Trump is going to fall below 25 percent or rise above 35 percent in the first three states. Why would that happen in the the southeast where I just checked the little bit of polling that's been going on? And, for example, in Georgia, Trump at one point up near 40 percent last year. And then when people started voting, now he's down in the uh, in the upper 20s. Now, look, I think that's right. And I just wrote a post for the website sort of saying, on the one hand, you can write a scenario where Trump. I think you're right. It keeps getting a plurality, a healthy plurality, and a healthy plurality of the vote turns into a majority of the delegates. And at some point, the front, well, and the front runner usually wins. I mean, that's the way these primary systems work. Others challenge. They don't. They're not uncontested. Carter in '76, Clinton in '92 had challengers to the end. But the front runner, let's say after March 1st, after the first, what, what would that be? About 16 states almost always wins, and that probably will be, almost certainly would be, Trump. The counter-argument is exactly what you said, that Trump's an unusual front-runner because he doesn't have the support of the establishment, which the other front-runners either had going in, you know, Romney or McCain, or were able to get pretty quickly. And therefore, Trump is a weaker front-runner in many ways. And there's been some sign that voters do uh, recoil a little bit from Trump at the end, and so his vote goes down from where it is earlier on, as you say, in a state like Georgia. So... Um, I think you can make the, the counter-argument. Now that, so that counter-argument, where does that lead us? It leads to Trump continuing to get, let's just say, 30, 35 percent of the vote. It leads to, it needs a, there has to be a consolidation against Trump that's begun to happen with Bush getting out. And that scenario does seem to suggest that Rubio ultimately becomes the alternative to Trump with Cruz hanging in there for at least quite a while. And then it really, Rubio has to do well enough March 1st, I would say, to get a decent chunk of delegates to prevent it looking like a Trump runaway. Um, and Cruz gets presumably a bunch of delegates on March 1st, too, especially in Texas and also in other states. And then March 15th becomes a huge day with, uh, with Ohio uh, and Florida, and I think Illinois, too, pretty much, well, they are winner-take-all. Missouri is winner-take-most. Those are big states. And um, that's where Rubio has to, presumably Rubio, conceivably... Cruz, conceivably, I guess, Kasich, or some weird combination of Rubio and Kasich, where Rubio focuses on Florida and Kasich focuses on Ohio. You could sort of imagine that even, where they have to deny Trump either a majority or a winning plurality in those winner-take-all states. So uh, we're getting really close to you know, the time where this thing is going to get either resolved or, or close to resolved over the next month. And I, I agree. You can make the case that Trump ultimately is a, sort of a strong number two at the convention with, you know, 30, 35 percent of the delegates and falling short. Um, but you can also make the case that uh, we can we, we can have all these fancy reasons why he's not a traditional front runner, 
but he still is the front runner, and the front runner usually wins. But we also have never had a front runner who was rejected by forty percent of self-identified Republican primary voters who've said, under no circumstances, I won't vote for him. I mean, the thing is that uh, kind of the Tea Party uh, base, if you want to call it that, going back to the nineteen nineties, whatever whatever we were called then, and evangelicals, they you know they didn't love. Bush. They didn't love Dole. They didn't love, you know, the candidates they were given, but they could live with them. You know what I'm saying? They were, okay, right. fine. This is the guy. The opposition to uh, to uh, Trump, I mean, it, people see it as an existential threat to the values they believe in. And that's why I'm saying, so at what point do people suddenly go, now that you mention it, this crazy guy who said 9-11 truther stuff and who's, you know, trashed uh, uh, foreign policy and who's called women all these names and who's, you know, uh, who's who supports uh, the uh, individual mandate. Now that you mention it, he is my guy. I just I don't know when that happens for Republicans as long as they have a viable alternative. And Rubio, Cruz, and Kasich strike me as viable alternatives. I, I tend to agree with that, and that's why if I had to vote, I think I would still, you know, if I had to put money down, I would still be slightly inclined to predict that Trump is not the nominee. But I've got to say, um, with less confidence maybe than a week or two ago. I just think those New Hampshire and South Carolina victories can't be discounted. A lot of that information was already out there, one would assume, for the voters of those two states who aren't that atypical uh, of Republicans around the country. And I do think the, the, the only thing that cuts against that, I tend to agree with that, the, and we also, I'd add to that, we have not seen a sustained paid advertising campaign against Cruz by anyone. And we all talk about these different things he said about Bush lying us into the war in Iraq and his comments about women and a million other things he's said and done in his career. Most voters haven't heard that in the way you can, they would hear it with a thousand gross rating points of ads up day after day uh, making this point. So I, I tend to agree with what you just said. The counter argument is how much does winning a bunch of states normalize Trump? How much does the opposite of what you've just said happen? How much do people decide, well, look, I mean, he won New Hampshire. But South Carolina, he won Nevada, he's going to win Georgia and a bunch of states, presumably on March 1st. And, you know, they're not crazy. So if he's okay with them, he's okay with us. You could get that dynamic, too. So that really, I think, is the question. Does Trump get more exposed and weakened, or do, do, do these victories, so to speak, normalize him for, for Republican voters going forward? And what I want to see is nonstop uh, you know, presentation of, of Trump's record and keep it up, because I think the, one of the lessons of South Carolina, of a, a guy who is flirting with 40 percent, ends up coming down to, you know, 32. Uh, Rubio, a guy who was back in the low teens, surges up to take second place, is that, you know, fighting matters. And if the Republic, if the, you know, whatever, if the non-Trumps will fight Trump and make him fight, it'll absolutely have an effect on him. Also, I Run, run by you, Bill, and I, as a talk radio host, it's the talk radio theory. Uh, talk radio in the 90s went through this kind of boom, this glory day where normal, typical people were suddenly tuning in. They'd listen to country and flip over to my station on talk and blah, blah, blah. And then in the 2000s, late 2000s, particularly around the time Obama was elected, those numbers started to go down, and some talk radio hosts and stations responded by getting more vituperous, more heated, more angry. And they didn't get that. Well, that was what why people were starting to turn out, is that the haranguing and the negativity and whatever. And so now talk radio is, uh, some people arguing, kind of a death spiral right now. They can't break out because they're losing you know, casual voters by super serving the P1s. And I think that Donald Trump is in the same position. He gets in trouble, so he goes back to his Trump-based people and whips them up again with some crazy comment. And sure, that whips them back up, but it also drives away another voter who 
have been ready to see Trump normalize. I don't, once again, I don't see if his policy is still going to be, you know, crazy talk, lunatic attacks, and then, you know, back. I, 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 it seems to me that he's in a similar self-limiting spiral. I, I think that, you know, could well be the case. I, I hope it's the case personally. And I, I think it's more likely the case than not. I mean, you could easily make the argument along those lines that, look, you got 32.5% of the vote in South Carolina. Doesn't that mean he's probably going to get? I don't know, 25% in Ohio or Florida, which are states that um, are less friendly, presumably, to Trump demographically and socioeconomically. Jay Koss, who we were just emailing late last night as, as the results came in, and Jay uh, pointed out to me that the parts of South Carolina that look most like the big Republican vote concentrations in states like Ohio and Illinois and Florida and California and so forth, Trump did poorly in those. Rubio won a couple of big counties. Um, and then I think lost Greenville by only two points to Trump. And that was even though Kasich and Bush were taking away votes that presumably would be more inclined to Rubio. So I think you can make that argument that Trump ultimately is a, you know, gets 25 percent, 33 percent, 35 percent, but not never gets to 50 or even the sort of mid high 40s where you probably have to be to, 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 to really win the nomination outright with more than half the delegates at the convention. Um, no, I think that I think that could be. I think the other point one should make is Rubio showed real strength as a candidate. He had a hor- that horrible debate moment in New Hampshire. It did clobber him in that state. He sunk to fifth, and it was really an open question a week ago: Would he could he come back at all? I mean, and the fact that he did well in the debate in South Carolina, uh, ran a good campaign, had his you know was composed and effective on the stump. Um, voters were attracted to him. So you could go back and look at the first three states and say one of the lessons we've learned is Rubio surged in Iowa. He was surging in New Hampshire until that horrible debate, and then he surged again in South Carolina. Now he surged to third or second, uh, third in Iowa and second in, in South Carolina. So he hasn't won a state yet, but I think you do have a candidate there who looks potentially to be a strong alternative to Donald Trump. And the more he campaigns, the more doors he opens to people to vote for him. And the more Trump campaigns, in my opinion, the more doors he closes. And that's my point, is that that's this strategy. You can see how it makes the Trump brand, you know, red hot among his base, but unacceptable by, say, 60 percent of the electorate. So that's what we will see over the next uh, uh, 10 days here or so or 20 days as we head into March 1st. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.